Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. I'm going to back it all the way up to like step one, because I think that's that's probably one of the, the most important things, and I think you mentioned um, failure was not an option for you when you got into the business. And that was, that was because of why? Uh, that was because I had a family to support. We were uh, mountains of debt with medical school loans. That's what we were living off of was med school loans um, and needing to have a new plan for our family. Um, and that's something that even today I still articulate to my clients because so many people can get their real estate license and so many people know someone who has one, but really explaining to them that this isn't a side hustle. This isn't spending money. This isn't a part-time job. This is my passion. This is 100% how I support my family. And on like in the selling case, I don't get paid until I successfully sell your home and you get paid. And so they understand that you're a priority or they're a priority to you. Yeah, that's huge because I think that uh, there's, we talked a little bit before we started that there's always a balance. You know, if you go in with too big a parachute, you go in with too big of a backup plan, then you are kind of thinking, well, you know, I can, I don't have to survive in this. If something doesn't work out, you're already thinking what the next deal is, what the next job is. And if you go in and, um, you know, you're what you've got a month to succeed, then you can get in trouble too. So you really, you kind of put yourself in that position by design. Yeah. And even now, even though we've paid off those med school loans, um, I treat my goals monthly. So I have my overall goals of making Centurion every year, which is uh, $288,000 in adjusted gross close commission this year. Um, so I have my, you know, that's the goal. However, every year that I've set that as the goal, I don't just stop when I hit that goal. I push through it. So last year I finished at 427,000 in AGC and 422,000 the year before. And so setting it and, and don't leave just that that stuff on the table because you don't need it anymore. Just keep pushing through. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I'm kind of curious. I, I got two questions. The first one, I'm really, it's more entertainment value. Like what, I see how this story is kind of ending very mm-hmm. positively, but I'm just wondering how it began when the, the day he came home and said, look, I, 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 we, I put the family in all this debt and I just want to let you know, I'm not paying it off. I'm done with this medical thing. Like, <laughs> What was your response to that? So um, my husband and I were high school sweethearts. Uh, We're still married. Uh, We're going to be having our 14-year anniversary since we've been together. Awesome. uh, Um, And so really the mindset is that when he started medical school, it was we're a team. Um, They actually have a spouse support group at the school because it's so hard on families Mm -hmm. in particular. Uh, There's so much of a sacrifice with time, money, stress. Um, The things they put those med school students through is just awful. It's just really awful. Um, And uh, so the main thing is that I didn't marry him because he was going to be a doctor um, is because I love him. And so that was the main thing was just at that time, I couldn't imagine him, me making that kind of sacrifice that he was making. And so I couldn't expect him to do something I wouldn't. Um, but speaking of the, the mountain of debt, um, we're very, we've also done Dave Ramsey and so very uh, financially focused. Um, and so back in July, we paid off all of the med school loans, which ended up, they were about $150,000 and we paid them off. 
Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so it sounds like you're really choosing a quality of life more than uh, chasing, uh, you know, a, a revenue stream. So I, I, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's very evident here. So, you know, as you, as you get your real estate license, um, I think you mentioned you were new to that market, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We moved to Fort Worth in 2010 for him to start med school. Uh, he quit in 2013. And during that time, my only friend's friends were other spouses of medical students, which they're poor, they can't afford to buy houses or, you know, the little mommy play dates because I had little kids at that time. So it wasn't necessarily that I had a large sphere of influence that were well-qualified buyers or sellers. Um, many people, you know, grow up in their market, so they have that. Um, so my, the beginning of my sphere was doing as many open houses for other agents as possible, doing as much phone time as possible, and then really making sure to uh, milk those relationships so they grew into more referrals and a bigger sphere of influence. Good. So where did you start? You know, you, you, you got your license now and, uh-huh. and, and you're going and you've built something that's actually very impressive in a short period of time. You know, what were your steps from, from the beginning to actually start taking track, getting traction and now start becoming a, a top producer? How, how did you do that? So, um, my very first listing, actually, uh, I was on my way to the grocery store and saw a moving sale sign, like a handwritten moving sale sign, couches in the front yard. And before I could even psych myself out, like literally I'm in yoga pants, like I'm not even in work clothes. I just went straight up to that door. I mean, cause this is the hunger. This is the, yeah. how am I going to pay the power bill kind of situation? And went up to that door and, Hey, I see you have a moving sales sign. Are you thinking about moving? And she's like, Oh yeah, we're under contract to buy a house down in Burleson. Oh great. Well, do you have a realtor? Oh yeah. But she lives in Burleson. Well, great. I'm a local specialist. I live just up the road. I would really love to meet with you. And you know, that all sounds shiny and stuff, but behind the scenes, it took her canceling like five appointments for showings and just hounding and, and getting in there. So whenever I finally got the appointment and um, I went into my office and was like, what did I do? I have no idea what to do. I've never even shown a house. What am I going to do with this listing? Um, and um, I'm very fortunate that I have an amazing mentor. Uh, his name is Richard and he really sees his legacy of leaving really well-qualified agents behind. And so he spent about three hours practicing the listing presentation. He sent me a copy of his and so I could use it. And he grilled me on, well, how long have you been in the business? Or what do you think about this? And so when those questions would come up, I had an answer. Ironically, none of them came up because I was so prepared. They had no idea that I literally had had my license for a week. That is, that is a fantastic story. And it's a story. So first of all, let's just get it straight. Your first deal was a door knock, right? (laughs) In, In a way. Yes. Ironically, I didn't even sell it on that. I did about 10 open houses at that house, tried so hard to sell it and it wouldn't sell. So uh, we have a large property management division with Century 21 Dutch Fight. I referred it to them. They ended up leasing it out for two years and then I got it back and ended up selling it two years later. Wow. That's awesome. So Brenda, so she started with a door knock. Yeah. And and then she started role playing. Then she goes and role plays to uh, get the listing. So, I mean, just door knocking and role playing right there are so many things that seasoned agents would just never do. Now, maybe you're not, you didn't make door knocking your, your whole business, but it's just, um, it's just interesting that you had the guts and the courage to do that right in the beginning. That's what happens when you drive to the grocery store and you're thinking, okay, I can't buy very much because we don't have that much money. That's, that's the, I've got kids to feed kind of situation. 
look at the options that become available to you or realistic to you when failure is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Huge. Yeah. So now, where'd you go from there? I don't do door knocking and I don't really do cold calling either. Yeah. Uh, so. so where did you go from there? So you, you know, that was the beginning. So then mm-hmm. as you started really getting traction and feeling more comfortable, I think you built your business a little bit more on sphere and centers of mm-hmm. influence. Um, again, um, you know, I think the audience would like to know, it's like, well, how in the world do you build a big business with sphere and centers of influence when you don't have a lot of uh, relationships or history of being in, a, in that particular market? So how did you generate a good following and build a referral basis so qu- uh, uh, business so quick? So I start the dialogue with the clients from day one. And that's a, that's a Brian Buffini recommendation, mm-hmm. Joe Nego recommendation, if anybody's gone through Peak Producers. Um, so I really took that to heart. So in my listing presentation, I have a picture of past client appreciation parties and explain to them that when you become one of my clients, you don't just have this little short period of time with me. My goal is to be here for you years to come. And so um, I start having that conversation from day one that I'm able to focus my time on my current people because I'm not spending my time and resources trying to chase for new clients all the time. And so I say in return, you know, keep this open. You know, if you have a coworker, a friend, a family neighbor, a neighbor, anybody that's mentioned something about real estate, all you need to do is do a group text message with that person and me, and then I will take it from there. Mm-hmm. Got it. And, and, people, so, and so where were you, they're where say, were you oh, finding all these people? Hmm? Where uh, are you so, finding all these people? So doing 10 open houses on that first listing or doing open houses for other agents in my office, doing phone time at my office as much as possible, because I didn't have money to market those types of things. I wanted to maximize as many free resources as I had. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that, this is, and, and you know, you're, you're, whether you know it or not, you're dropping a lot of nuggets out there. <clears throat> and one of the things that I just want to put emphasis on for the audience is, um, again, failure was not an option. So then her only options were to, to get into action. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's people out there say open houses, I would never do open houses. Look, if, if, you're, if you're in a position right now that you don't have a lot of business, well, she is showing you right now an action that you can take to get in front of people. And then when you get in front of people, you know, if you'll take an approach like hers, there's all kinds of approach, right? You can take an action, do some open houses, get, you know, get 10 or 15 people through an open house and you can try to sell them really hard and probably not get much out of it. Or you can try to establish rapport, build relationships, understand you may not get something out of it right that at that moment. But over time, you know, you'll start to generate momentum because you've got all these people that become raving fans of yours. So I think it's important. It's like it, it's not necessarily the, the activities that you act on. It's what's important is that real estate agents get into action. It's, it's act, you know, on activities, on any activity, no matter what that activity is, just get into action. Yep. And I still do open houses myself. Uh, so... Uh, typically I'll do two on Saturdays, two on Sundays. And if I have more than I can handle, um, there are new agents in our office that I always offer. If I like them and they're reliable, they show up on time, then I'm happy to offer them those open houses. Um, but even last year, seven of my closings, I sourced from open houses where they didn't actually buy that house, but they bought a different home with me. Um, and so it's one of those things where you have to be open-minded it's not just you're trying to sell that house. You're trying to pick up that client and either sell a home of theirs or help them purchase something else. Yeah. Um, and so you have to shift your mindset too. 
The other thing, too, that I'm hearing you say is from from Richard in the beginning, and my guess is that either you are smart enough to say, I don't know what I'm doing with this listing that I just got, so I need some help, or he observed you and said, that's somebody that can get some benefit from what I know. You've always, it sounds to me like you've always been open to to who you, who are you going to listen to? So you yeah. mentioned you follow Buffini and you follow Richard on your first listing. So I think that's a really, a really, really important um, part to point out is in action, but also in action, not just, you know, randomly going out and just trying stuff. You said, somebody knows more about this. Let me listen. Who, who am I going to listen to that can actually help me along the way? Absolutely. And I, he's, he's one that doesn't like praise. And so sometimes at office awards and stuff, he won't show up because he doesn't like to be praised, but, um, his mantra and mentality for the business, um, is something that I've really carried on for this whole time, which is don't focus on the shiny objects. Like personally, I don't pay for online leads. I've never paid Zillow a cent. Um, if I am needing business, then I need to be going and previewing homes for current buyers. I have, I need to be going and driving around neighborhoods looking for, for sale by owners. I need to be doing open houses for people. There are lots of these activities, just like you said, that you can do to be focused on the business that don't cost a lot of money. Um, and then also ret- retroactively, whenever you finish your listing presentation, if you were, get it, um, sit in your car for just a minute and think through what went on and think about what maybe you could have improved on, what you did well, what you didn't do well. Um, there was a specific, one of my first listing appointments was a husband and wife. I got back to the office and he asked me, kind of, we walked through what happened, who asked what. And he said, you know, I noticed that you said a lot of things about what the husband asked you, but what did the wife think? And I was like, oh, well, she just didn't really seem super interested. She was really quiet. And he said, you know, I know you got that listing, but you need to be really mindful, especially as a woman, to give her equal opportunity to talk, ask her questions, because you may have accidentally offended her. And especially since I'm a younger female, I also could potentially be perceived as trying to only talk to the husband. And so uh, he gave me really good perspective that I still carry and still think about. Solid. So what are some of the things, talking about your sphere, because Mm -hmm. now you're doing, you know, 18 million in production. So I'm assuming that you've got some sort of system for communication. Um, I think you may, uh, may have mentioned some um, uh, preferred client parties. Tell us a little bit more about how you service, add value, and just add wow to your, your sphere so uh, you can get as many referrals as you're getting. What are some of the strategies that you use? Yes. So um, I do client appreciation parties. Uh, Typically my summer one is for families and then my Christmas one is for adults only. Uh, When I first started doing them, it was three and a half years ago. um, I didn't feel like I had enough people to do one by myself. And so I teamed up with a couple other like-minded agents in my office and we did it together. So we asked sponsors um, if they would sponsor a certain amount of money um, and we did it as a, a, you know, a client appreciation gathering for the five of us. And that way we could get more attendance and it, it worked pretty well. Um, so this last year and a half, my last three parties I've done completely by myself. Um, and I leverage my relationships because, you know, I'm a referral person. That's just how I am. I expect my clients to give me referrals. I love giving referrals. If I find someone I like in an industry, I shout their name from the rooftops. Um, and so I asked my referral partners to sponsor. And so my last party, I actually ended up making $200 because I didn't, I went under budget. Um, and so I don't want this to cost a lot of money. Uh, at the Christmas one, we had about 60 people. Um, it was at a local uh, wine kind of bar um, and I was able to bring in the food um, and it was pretty much just a come and go. And then we had raffle prizes. 
um, over the summer, I had a hundred people, uh, cause it was a family oriented one. So we had kids, um, and it was at the local drive-in movie theater, uh, which I personally love to go to. And so, um, on the postcard, it said, uh, when you show up at the gate, you just tell them, I love my realtor and they'll let you in for free. And that basically put them on my tab. And then the venue offered, um, they had a violinist that played, you know, really recent songs, did like mashups. And then, uh, they had, I didn't pay for the alcohol because that would have gotten too expensive, but I paid for the food and the popcorn and the drinks. And then people were welcome to see whatever movie they wanted to. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. So, um, Sarah, you, you, I know from, you told me before, you're a millennial. Uh-huh. So somewhere between 24 and 30. 38 years old, just turned 30. Just okay. 30 so no more 30 under 30. <laughs> no. Uh, so the 30 under 30s, there are people that won in the early 2000s that still tote the 30 under 30. Um, we actually have our conference in a couple weeks in uh, Charleston, and it's it's a pretty big deal. Um, so there are people in their late 40s that still use 30 under 30 as a big thing for them. Yep. Yeah. Well, you, and you only added 10 more people. So now I just go for 40 over 40, 40 under 40. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but do you, so a lot of times I think people, um, in, in that group, they get, they, they're getting a bad rap, you know, it's kind of got a, um, it's got that, um, stigma that, oh, they're not wanting to work and all the stuff that you hear. Clearly you're not, um, within that stigma. You're, you've actually done a ton, um, in the business. So how are, how are you overcoming that? Or how are you even coming up against that when you're on your appointments or your clients are, are wondering? Because, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that might be using that right now as, as uh, a crutch. So what would you tell them? So with doing the listing appointments, um, I explained to them that it's the best of both worlds. They're getting the millennial tech ability for marketing because we know that the internet is one of the main sources for us to sell properties. And so they understand that I am very tech savvy, but then also too, um, I have the experience of some of these agents that have been in the business for so long because I've sold over 250 homes. Um, so they get the best of both worlds. I have the experience plus I have the tech, um, and the energy, frankly, um, and, um, efficiency. One of the things that drives me crazy is inefficiency. So the ability to do e-signing and all of those things, mm-hmm. um, with clients, that's part of my my niche is I really, one of my favorite types of clients is those well-educated first-time home buyers that are millennials, that have good paying jobs, they have their 20% down, and they really have done their research online. But I have found over and above, millennials do want those personal referrals. They are asking their boss, they're asking their friends, their parents, their coworkers, and that's how they're getting their realtors. And they are immensely loyal mm-hmm. uh, because yes, we look on reviews, but we also know the value of that personal referral and that that is so much stronger than just a Yelp review. Um, and that's one of those things that I think that people like to say, oh, millennials only look at online stuff. It's really not true. They see a lot of misinformation and they've realized that a real true professional is still their best source. So at the end of the day, you're saying that even within the millennial group, they still want an agent on the other end of the transaction, even though they got the, all the ability to do all the stuff with tech, they still want to need an agent. Well, and even with the tech, they don't have the information correctly. Right. You know, there's so much misinformation that um, one of my favorite parts is the education process of it. So every single buyer, even if it's not a first-time home buyer, I go through a buyer's presentation, go over the process, go over the money they need to expect, go over how we're going to handle certain objections that come up, like inspections and appraisals. Um, so that way they understand that when it does come up, I've already seen it. I've already warned them that it's coming. And a lot of times when we're at the closing table, my clients say, I can't believe how much easier that was than I had 
been told or I'd read or than I anticipated. And that's my goal is to make it smooth. Awesome. So where do you go from here? So it's, you know, 2019 and, and mm -hmm. I'm imagining you have some goals. Um, um, but, you know, what, what, what are you looking to accomplish in this real estate career? Like if we were to cast the, uh, you know, a net out five years, what does your fifth year from now look like? <clears throat> are you still in the business? Are you doing the same business? Are you doing more business? You know, what is your vision for, for where you're going to take your business? And then the, the follow up to that would be what are some of the action steps you need you're, you're working on now? that'll help you realize that ultimate goal. Yeah, so um, I, I obviously really enjoy this business. I love my job. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me about creating teams, expanding, doing those types of things. And ultimately when I do the soul searching and, and trying to figure out what my best options are, um, when people create teams, it's typically because you have an excess of leads that you can't you know, service. Um, I don't have that. Um, typically I have just as much as I need because referrals are pretty constant. Um, they come in, you handle them, you've got it in my house, you move on. Um, with um, my goals, they're mo more focused on my family. Um, so our, our major goal was to get a year in savings. We did that. Then it was pay off that student loans and, and be debt free. So we just achieved that. Then the goal was to go to Europe for two weeks before I turned 30. So we went to Italy for two weeks, my husband and I. Um, so my goals are more focused towards retirement towards long-term longevity versus um, trying to just become, you know, a rock star in real estate. I already feel like I am where I need to be. Um, so my goals for the next five years are to continue to um, make Centurion every year. Um, so that way I'll be in the Centurion Honor Society. Um, and then it's more personal. It's about you know, more savings for retirement. Um, we recently started investing in multifamily housing. Um, personally for my business, I'm going to keep it residential. I'm going to still sell residential. I really enjoy working with buyers and sellers, um, on that personal level. Uh, but financially for my own family, uh, we've already invested in one multifamily property. Um, and so we plan on owning apartment complexes. Yeah. That's so. good. What, what are, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the industry disruption threats, mm -hmm. What do you see as, or, or do you see any threats coming our way as real estate professionals from, um, you know, technology companies or anything? And if so, what are they? And then, and what are you doing to navigate around it and make sure that you're not uh, a victim of it? Yeah. Uh, so in our local market, we have Open Door, um, yeah. which is the only real online one. Uh, Zillow, I know they have a similar platform, but they haven't really broken in here yet. Um, just like I mentioned with the whole millennials and the fact that they still want a person, they don't just want the computer. I really feel like it will be a very long time before our job is replaced by that type of technology or those flat rate brokerages. I still feel like there is still room in our market for what we're offering, which is full service. Um, you know, that, that, uh, we call it turnkey service. That's what we use the term for, um, where we're going over and above, um, for our clients. And I feel like at least in the time period that I will need to be still selling real estate. Now, if my children wanted to do it, I'm not sure how well that would work, but, um, at least for my generation, I think that we're going to be just fine because ultimately people want someone accountable. And I know personally, when I get, you know, a something wrong on one of like my direct TV account, I'm like, Oh great. I'm going to have to spend an hour on a 1-800 number. People don't want to do that with their largest yeah. asset. Life. Yeah. They don't. 
they want to have someone that they can physically go to their office or they can call them on a night or a weekend, which is the same thing with lending. One of the reasons that I think that like Quicken Loans won't be able to take over local lenders because ultimately you want the accountability. Um, and that's what we're offering is the accountability. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point because I know I, um, you know, it seems like technology sometimes makes us more efficient um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it may make it and it does make us more efficient. But yeah. I know for me, it's still a little frustrating when I get an auto teller, you know, and I have to push two and then I have to say my name and my last four digits of Social Security and then this and then I go through another few uh, buttons that I have to push and then I have to talk to an operator anyways. You know, it's know. Like, you know, those things get a little frustrating. And, yeah. um, and so what I hear you saying is full service, but just, I, I think the, the, the agent, we can still provide a better experience. Um, it's our job to use technology to be able to, to be more efficient at delivering a great experience. But I don't mm-hmm. think technology is the experience that all the consumers are going to gravitate to too quickly. But I do believe technology helps us create a better experience, but it's still us creating it. And I kind of hear that in your, in, in, in your explanation. Yeah, yeah. And, and another thing too is Texas is a non-disclosure state. So with some other state where the sold value is easily accessible, um, in Texas, there's so much misinformation about whether the appraisal district, the county appraisal district is an accurate valuation or the Z estimates are an accurate valuation. Yeah. At least in our market where values have been appreciating so quickly, um, people are leaving money on the table because they look at the Z estimate, they think their house is worth 120 or uh, 220. And then um, they get that open door online, you know, valuation or offer. And it says, we'll give you 210. And they're like, oh, that's actually pretty good. When in actuality, I could sell their house for 250 all day long. And my fee is not even close to what it's going to end up, you know, their net would be so much higher. And so I think that technology ultimately will not help push the envelope um, for the market also. And then also too, just the they don't know. They don't understand. They need a professional that can give them an evaluation. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Cool. Great. great. Well, we are almost out of time, Sarah. So great information again. And I can, uh, there's no doubt in my mind what the clients see. You're very authentic and your strategies are in line with like, everything that you're saying. So that's a, uh, um, that's a, a kudos to you. So how can people get a hold of you? They got questions or they want to kind of bounce some things off of you. What's uh, what's the best way to, uh, to get a hold Absolutely. of you? Absolutely. Uh, so my cell phone number is 817-675-6006. Uh, preferably text because like I said, I'm a millennial. If you call me, I will probably look at it and be like, I don't know that number. Mm, maybe I'll call you. Um, and uh, also you can find me obviously on Facebook, that kind of thing. Uh, but my website is sarahlyonsrealestate.com and that is S-A-R-A-H-L-Y-O-N-S. Outstanding, outstanding, and send your send your Fort Worth referrals to uh, to Sarah and Greg. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, like I say every time, just go to Facebook, type in my name, and hit me up on Facebook Messenger. Uh, it's probably the easiest way to to reach me and get some sort of response if you have any questions, or I can just give any any advice. I'm more than happy to do that. Yep, yep. same here. Facebook's a great way for all three of us. So um, thanks again, Sarah. Great information, and uh, look forward to to seeing what you do in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're, You're welcome. Keep up the good work.